0: god 's word gives purpose and peace of mind an interesting topic it is uh, more of a personal discussion I suppose rather than a technical or academic uh, consideration of a topic out of the Bible uh, that's informational this is this is a claim I guess that we're putting forward or a, a consideration that the Bible as god's uh, inspired word can give these things can give purpose and can give peace of mind and that's a fairly big claim so We'll go through this evening and examine that and see what we can find out about this topic. To do that, let's just break tonight into a couple of key headings so we can see a, a bit of a map of where we're heading. First of all, why consider this topic? What's, what's the, uh, the value in doing so? Secondly, what is this that the Bible claims to offer? Let's just explore that a little bit further. What is that, that purpose or that sense of a peace of mind? What is purpose generally outlined in the Bible? Let's, let's go through and see if the Bible does claim to, to have a purpose or to offer a purpose of some description. What is that overall purpose the Bible puts forward? And then the next step is, well, if the Bible does describe a purpose, that may be a generic purpose, but how can that relate to me individually? So our topic is that the Bible can give us individually a sense of purpose. How can that happen? Um, and then we'll look at some, some individual examples of purpose and peace of mind. So, in, in the scripture, if we want to see how this works in a practical sense, let's see how some, some examples of people described in the Bible uh, can demonstrate that for us. If we claim the Bible offers peace, what is, what is that peace? What does that peace look like? And finally, we'll wrap up with what can, this, what can we take away from this today for ourselves? So, first of all, why consider this topic? Well, I almost don't need to ask the question, do I? Especially considering the events of the last 18 months or so. Um, A somewhat chaotic world. I mean, even aside from uh, the chaos wreaked by uh, the COVID-19 itself uh, globally in this country, um, we were disturbed last year and we still have some small measures really in place and some occasional travel restrictions come in. But obviously we know around, around the globe, there is far more disruption um, and pain and suffering as well that's been associated. But even aside from, even if that had not come along as it did, uh, we were already facing major issues uh, such as the climate crisis, financial crises, and um, general unrest, civil unrest, and, and the wars that are around the world. So the sense of having purpose, of having peace of mind to, to many people on this earth would be a foreign concept, almost considered out of reach in some countries, I'm sure. And statistically these days, having a sense of purpose for individuals is not as common a thing as it may have been, Uh, especially, it it seems, among young people from the particular study of Foot Up, it's from Britain, Uh, they did a survey, this is from 2019 data, so relatively recent, and and one in ten, you might say only one in ten, of the Young Britons surveyed would say they had some sort of sense of purpose. So 90% of them would say, no, I have no, no real purpose in my life, uh, no particular direction, just living from day to day. And that's a pretty saddening stat, really, that a lot of people are just living life without any clear sense of, of the purpose of what they're living for or where they're heading. Generally speaking, they say, even aside from um, having a religious purpose, having a sense of purpose in general, they say, gives people... Uh, better health and better life prospects in general uh, aside from any hope that may come from a sense of purpose or, or a belief and they, by the way as a, as a side point to this, this study they did note that in, in parallel with this rise of people without purpose um, the number of people in the UK that uh, nominated as being part of um, a church or having a religion or a religious belief had also dropped so there is, there is a connection known between having a faith and having a sense of purpose. Why is this? Well, this is an age-old problem, isn't it? Having purpose, having peace of mind is because uh, often as humans we get stuck in this cycle of life. And this cycle is described uh, by the writer in Ecclesiastes, that all things are full of labour, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So. In other words, people are always looking for something new. They see something good one day, and the next day they're out just looking for the next thing, which mode of entertainment or the next, you know, audio, entertainment, whatever it might be, that they can hear. And so the purpose doesn't go beyond just satisfying the needs or the, the wants, the entertainments of the particular day or week. But it never leads to any, any lasting fulfillment It doesn't fulfil any sense of greater purpose. So as the next quote says, even someone whose purpose might be to um, accumulate money, doesn't matter how much they accumulate, they will not be satisfied with money. And he who loves wealth with his income. As the old saying goes, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So whatever it is you might gain or, or whatever um, increase to possessions or status or you know, job position you might have, it'll be okay for a while until the next week or month, it's not enough. So the cycle continues. In contrast to this sort of cycle of human vanity and lack of purpose we see, what does the Bible claim to offer? What what is this sense of purpose or sense of peace of mind that the Bible can offer people that come to it? There's just a couple of examples uh, of quotations we have here. It says... Speaking of God in Isaiah 26, that you, that is God, keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Similarly, in Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So in terms of stability and and peace of mind, the Bible claims that people can have perfect peace or a complete sense of peace. It doesn't say that they'll be without trouble and difficulty in their life, but it does say there is a certain peace they can gain. And you'll notice that it's not just randomly given, it's two people who have a connection with God. That's the common theme in both those quotations. It's the person whose mind is stayed upon God, who has a trust in God, and again in Psalm 125, it's those who trust in the Lord that are like a mountain, Mount Zionus, which is, can't be moved. It's a, it's a permanent fixture. So people who have a a connection with God, the Bible claims, can gain a sense of stability that's almost a a mountain-like stability. What about direction then? That's peace of mind. What about a sense of purpose or direction? Well, Psalm 119 tells us that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This particular individual who has a connection with God writing it and who consults the word of God, reads it, that it gives them direction. So it's as though they're walking down a dark way. There is a path, but they need a light to see it. And it is the Bible that gives that light, sheds a light on the steps they're trying to make ahead in life. And they're able to differentiate with that light which direction they should head, which path they they could take. Again, in Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So again, we're seeing that common pattern that the purpose, that the sense of direction the Bible offers, comes back to having a connection with the God who wrote the Bible. And it's from him that that sense of purpose, that direction comes. Okay, so that's the claim. We might say, you know, not fully demonstrated as yet. Let's go to our next discussion then around purpose generally in the Bible. So, If we can gain a sense of purpose, we would expect that the Bible can put out a greater purpose for for life, perhaps a purpose for this world, that we can connect to. We're just going to start with, we're going to to go through through a few quotations which outline to us uh, a few key points or data points, observations about purpose in the Bible. This one's written by Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and he makes this comment in his discussion that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to his purpose so that might seem like a short little saying but it's quite compact and there's quite a lot in it so what can we make out just from this one statement in Romans 8 what can we derive firstly we can derive the fact that God does have a purpose there are people who are called according to his purpose so He does have one, whatever it may be, first point. Secondly, this purpose involves people. We can make that statement from this quote because it's people that are called out that are connected to this purpose, we're told. So people who are the called, called by God. And thirdly, we can tell that God's purpose involves not just people randomly, but people having a personal connection with him. And we saw that in our previous quotations as well, but back that point up. So we have three pieces of information, that there is a purpose, it involves people, and people with a connection to God. And we are also told that this purpose works for the ultimate good of those who participate in it. All things work together for good to those that love God. And that is a key part of his purpose. Okay, let's ask a few more questions. Where will this purpose be carried out? Because understanding is that the God of the Bible is a very uh, a vast being who lives somewhere in the universe. Well, we're left in no doubt. We're told clearly in Isaiah 45, uh, verse 18, when it's describing the fact that God created the heavens, it says, "God Himself that formed the earth and made it; He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited." I am the Lord, and there is none else. So from this we can see that it's not some other random place within the vast universe that this purpose will be carried out, but specifically on earth. It makes the claim that God formed the earth, he put people upon it, and that was to carry out his purpose on it. So it's just some some basis to, to build our picture of the purpose on. We were told that people are called out in that previous quotation that this purpose involves people being called. But to what, we might ask the question. We're told in First of Thessalonians, uh, another letter that Paul wrote, he's writing to the, the believers there, and he says to them, that you would walk, walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So clearly, people are called to something, to a kingdom and a glory. That may sound a bit... A bit generic, a bit meaningless without some um, some detail around it. So what is this kingdom that people are called to? Well, we're, we're told in, in the Bible that there is a new world order, a government that God will at some point set up on this earth and that God's glory will be shown at that time on the earth in the way that people live and worship him. Um, one reference uh, quotation, and Um, You're welcome to turn up some of these as we go along. This one's probably worth turning up as a a reference point. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. These are some of the the keystone quotations, you might say, in the scripture about the purpose that God has with this earth. So Daniel 2 and verse 44, it's, in this, the context of this chapter, um, scanning back through, you can tell that it's about empires generally in the earth. And, and in this particular story, the prophet Daniel has just described in broad terms the history of the world that would come in terms of major empires from Babylonian to Persian, Greek, Roman, and finally the, um, the, the powers we have in the world today, mainly in, in Europe. And, and after describing that broad brush of history and the main, major empires and the great powers that will come and go, he says, Never mind all those. He says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. It'll be different to them because, as they were each succeeded by the following, this kingdom will never be destroyed. The kingdom won't be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it, different to all of them, it shall stand forever. So, this is a fairly unique time or event that the Bible is describing. In the history of the world, there's never been an empire that hasn't had some sort of end or, or, or lapsing. You know, it's risen to power, it's come to its prosperity, and then it fades away, and becomes at least diminished, if not gone altogether. This is describing a, a time, an empire, if you like, a government situation which is unique. It will stand in place of all these other kingdoms, and it will stand forever. And Uniquely, it will be ruled by God, and on behalf of God, um, by a particular person that he sends. So, who is that? Who will govern this kingdom on God's behalf? It's described as God's kingdom, but he needs a person on earth, doesn't he, as a representative. Well, if we're looking in the New Testament, of the Bible, at Luke chapter 22, here's some words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples. And he's speaking again about a kingdom. So we have our connection back to Daniel. Daniel 2 verse 44. We're talking about the same kingdom because it's appointed by my father, he says, which is a reference to God. So he says to them that I appoint unto you, his disciples, a kingdom, as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So from that simple statement, we can tell that Jesus Christ is the one nominated to govern the kingdom on God's behalf, as the man qualified from the Bible's description of him, a man who came from God to present the gospel of God, to present his message to all of this earth, and, and not only to present it in teaching and speaking, but to live it out in his life, and ultimately in the sacrifice that he made on the cross to demonstrate the type of life, the type of commitment and sacrifice that God wants to see in all these people who are the call, all people that will be a part of that kingdom, that purpose that he is working out. And so Jesus alludes to that. He doesn't just say, well, I'll be a king and that'll be fantastic, um, never mind the rest of you disciples. He says, no, if you are followers of me, if you are committed like I have been to my father, there is a place for you in this kingdom. Not, not just a, a, a commonplace as well, but you can help me administer it. You, to his disciples, he says, to those 12, you, you'll in fact sit on, tw- on, on thrones judging the 12 tribes. And we're told in other parables of the kingdom in the New Testament that uh, faithful believers will be rewarded by, by their king, that is, by Christ, with rulership of perhaps one city, five cities, ten cities. And it's not, of course, just about um, a power ride, is it, for these believers? People who follow the Lord Jesus and the way of life that he lived are are giving people. They are people who are there to help communicate good, to help communicate about God, about the ways of living that the Lord Jesus Christ exemplifies to other people. It's a constructive and exciting work that they'll be involved with. This is part of the purpose. This is part of the, the picture that the Bible builds, what God has in store, in, the, in broad terms. Just to get a snapshot of what the time will be like when this new government, this new world order takes over, it will be centred mainly not just around a civil government like most other empires are. The heart and the hub, you might say, of this kingdom, this new age, will be the worship of God. That will be the central point. And a prophet, the prophet Micah describes this. and He says, in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And why do they want to go up? Just for a tourist visit like people may go to Israel today? No. They go because they want to learn something, because they want to absorb something. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. Ah, So there's a direction. There's a sense of purpose that these people have. And it brings its benefits too, this, this unified direction that people have. Because if they're all in unity, they worship the same God, they have common values coming together, nation won't lift up sword against nation. Neither will they learn any war anymore. Why would they need to take to arms to conflict if they have a common religion, a common purpose, and the earth itself is, is replenished and they have sufficient resources for all? And so we have this picture of individuals working together in unison for a greater good than themselves. And that brings good to all on earth because they're aligned with that central point of truth. So we might say, well, that sounds rather grand and that sounds um, fantastic that God has this long, ta- long plan uh, purpose for the earth. Um, good to see that there is one. But how does that give us purpose today? not necessarily knowing exactly when that greater purpose will come about. Well, having a greater purpose which the Bible offers we can be part of can give us a sense of purpose in the present life as well. And in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes about this because some of the people he wrote to, uh, this is in the first century when there were believers who were following Christ, but life was not always easy for them. Although they might have taken hold of their belief in in the Bible and in Jesus Christ with both hands uh, and be following him as best they can, they encountered difficulties, suffering, maybe persecution for what they believed, or there might have been famine in their land in those days and there was no social security. They struggled with a lot of different things, some of which we may today. But Paul gave them this point of encouragement based around this purpose, and he said, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. And he's talking about the kingdom of God because that is that is not yet seen. It's this future age described in the Bible but it's not here. We can't physically go and have a look at it now. And that's what Paul was referring to. But he said, don't worry, don't be... Um, distressed or or downcast about the fact that life can get hard now because there's a reason for it. And when there's a reason for things, sometimes it's a little easier to bear. It doesn't mean that there things suddenly, all all troubles dissolve away and we walk through life with rose-coloured glasses, but we can sometimes be better able to endure and to see through it because we're going somewhere. We we have a, a direction. We have a a destination, and the things that are happening on the way are part of that journey. And Paul says, you know, the difficult things we suffer now—they're they're preparing us for something. It's not just, oh, well, this is terrible, and hopefully this suffering will go away soon. Hopefully it will, but it's there for a purpose—to prepare us for a future age, to teach us things, perhaps teach us skills, whether it might be or qualities, patience, understanding of other people, so that we can better work in this future age that God promises. And he says that we don't really look then at the present as our end goal. We don't look at the things that are seen now and seek our satisfaction in the present. And we saw that in our first quotes, that if we try and do that, like it says in Ecclesiastes, we'll be in this cycle of, of lack of satisfaction, always wanting more. He says, no, don't, don't try and do that. That will get you nowhere. Look forward to the things that are unseen, to the kingdom that God's described, and then you'll have somewhat a sense of peace, even though times are difficult. So you can look then at the present as a preparation time, as a a training ground for the future that God has in store. Okay, sometimes that sounds a bit um, theoretical, you might say. Yes, we should have a sense of purpose now because God has a greater purpose for this earth, which we can participate in. All true statements. But what does that look like when someone has a sense of purpose that is connected to the greater purpose of God. Well, you can't go past the Lord Jesus Christ himself, described in the Bible as a man committed to God's will, for an example of a, someone who had purpose. Now, you might come across people in your lives that have purpose of different types, and we can quite admire them. It might be someone um, in a learning context who is very focused on their studies, and they achieve great things, and they can tell you a whole lot about a particular um, topic because they're a subject matter expert on it, and, and you admire their, their sense of purpose in, and their um, discipline in following that study, or, or at work, that they have a, a purpose on which they're, they're trying to take their organisation, or they're part of um, work in that organisation, and they have drive and motivation, and they are achieving things because they have this sense of purpose. Well, this man had a sense of purpose above all that. He clearly knew why he was there on the earth and what he was trying to do. So much so that when people gave him other options, he said, no, I know why I'm here. In in the book of Mark, chapter one, you you can turn this one up too if you like. The context is is helpful because his disciples are talking to the Lord Jesus and he's just spent a night, um, a long evening healing many people. That's in Mark, chapter one. So after spending a night healing many people, uh, which would have taken a lot, a lot of strain on him, he spends an evening, or the early hours of the morning at least, praying to his God in heaven. And after that, his disciples go out and find him and then say to him, well, uh, everyone's looking for you, Lord. Why don't you come back to, these, to this place where you were healing all the people? There might be some more work to do, some more healings perhaps. And he says this, verse 38, let us go out to the next town's that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Okay? That's why I came out. So he says, no, I'm not going back to do a few more healings because I have a purpose, and the purpose is not just to heal everyone in this country that I possibly can and get a total healing count um, that's never been reached before. My purpose is to preach the gospel. And so I've preached in this town. Yes, I've healed some people as part of the purpose of sharing that message with them and convicting them. But no, my purpose is not just to heal everyone, it is to preach, so I'm going to the next town. He had a clear sense of purpose. Another example is in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, where he's speaking to a woman in the country or the region of Samaria. And again, it's his disciples that are questioning him about what he's doing or not doing. And they come back to him after being away from some time and, and encourage him to have some food Um, And in verse 34 of that chapter, John chapter 4, Jesus says to them, no, don't worry about the food, the the physical things, because my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he says, I'm not too focused on the present things. Yes, I might get hungry or I might have some needs at times, but I have a greater sense of purpose than just eating the next meal. And I'm focused on that at the moment because I'm I'm preaching to some people. So don't distract me with that. My meat or, or the substance of my life, the things that I feed on, is doing the will of him that sent me. And that's, of course, a reference to his, his father, to God. A clear sense of purpose. You can start to see what a sense of purpose can do for people. It can keep them very focused. It can keep um, the, the smaller things of life, the practicalities, from distracting them from what's more important. Here's another s- statement of Christ about this, this will that the father sent him to do. It's John chapter 6, only a couple of chapters over. He says in John chapter 6, verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me. So, so if you're wondering, disciples, what, what that will I talk about is, this is the will of him that sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Hmm. I wonder what it is that he wasn't to lose. Had he been given some possessions? No. We are told that God's purpose is about people. So if there was something his father had given him not to lose, it could only be people, people that were called to learn about that purpose. And so Christ's focus is on everyone that he interacted with was was not to lose them, but but to gain them, you might say, for the kingdom, for that greater purpose. I'm really focused on not losing people, on, on gaining people for God's purpose. And he reinforces... This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he says, my, God is, my Father, the God of the earth, he is focused as well. He, he has a purpose which I'm aligned with, and that is that anyone who comes to me and learns should have that opportunity to receive eternal life. Like me, he is focused on saving people. We have this, this combined sense of purpose. So strong was this sense of purpose, it could drive Jesus to do what very few other people could do. Again, he states that purpose clearly: the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this was after converting a tax collector. So he met a man called Zacchaeus, had a meal with him, which which most other Jews would never do. He he broke through culture and tradition, did. Bizarre things to the people of his day, but he could do that. They weren't bizarre to him, they were things that he absolutely needed to do because he was there to save anyone. It didn't matter whether they were a looked down on tax uh, tax collector of the Jews or a high up official, he would save anyone who would come and hear the word. I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. Clear sense of purpose. even knowing that he was going to Jerusalem to die, he said this, or it says this of him, I should say, it came to pass that when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, it says of Jesus. Steadfastly set his face. So such was his sense of purpose, and he knew that within the purpose and will of God, it was God's will that he should lay down his life in order that he could demonstrate to people the commitment, the love that he had for his father. And his hope was, the father's hope was too, that people would be moved by that to also follow him in that conviction, to follow him in that commitment to the God of heaven. And because he had this very clear sense of purpose, why he was laying down his life, for who he was laying down his life, for his father for his disciples, to, to anyone who would come in the future ages and, and look at his life and be inspired by it. Knowing all that, having that sense of purpose for his sacrifice, a man was able to voluntarily walk into what he knew was certain death at the hands of the walls of a city. Very few people could say, knowing that they were destined for death in a particular city, I'm setting my face and even though people try to distract me, I'm not diverting from this purpose of going to Jerusalem. Another person, and here's an example of someone who, in turn, was affected by the example of Christ and his purpose. The apostle Paul, incredible example described in the New Testament of the Bible. Again, anyone who reads his life can detect straight away a clear sense of purpose. This is, of course, after his conversion, because early in his life he opposed um, the message of the gospel and that the, the uh, teachings of Jesus, or, or Jesus generally, amongst the Jews. And fought against it. But once converted by his experience on the road to Damascus, this man was absolutely focused. He could see the, the path forward clearly. He had a mission to preach the gospel, and he adapted his life, whatever circumstances he were in, he orientated it to that mission of preaching the gospel. And it drove how he interacted with people and anything that he did. Romans 1 sums this up, this purpose up well. As much as in me is, says Paul, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So he says, whatever energy I've got, whatever powers I have within me, that's what it's going to be focused on. In writing to the Corinthians, again, he describes the way that he adapts his own life and his own needs or wants to this greater purpose. So rather than being driven by his natural needs or his natural wants, he controls them in order to focus better on his purpose. So he says, To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it, he says, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So this man knew what he was about. He had no no confusion, didn't did he, about his purpose in being there and his life on the earth. In fact in, in one point he says, You know, It might even be better for me to not be alive and to to be with Christ, to be uh, ready to go to to my reward in the kingdom. But because life is painful for me now, I I suffer a lot because of um, the things I preach and the things I stand for. But I'm here for a reason. I'm here to help other people. That's why I'm alive on the earth. I'm not alive, not living to enjoy life in the present. None of that for him at all. But... Having said that, he was able to enjoy things at certain times and deny himself at certain times. He had a very balanced approach to life. But wouldn't that be a great attribute to have, that whether you come into a time or a situation where things are difficult or whether there are things to be enjoyed, that you can still remain focused on a greater purpose? Wouldn't it be great to have that balanced perspective? Well, that's what Paul was able to get From his belief in the Bible, he says, Whatever situation I am, that he's able to be content. I know, he says, how to be brought low and also how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, he's speaking of Christ, him who strengthens me. So, because of his faith in Christ and the purpose that he has of sharing Christ's gospel, he says, I can sometimes sit down and enjoy a meal with another believer because it's an opportunity to encourage him in the gospel and to share the good things that God has given us. It might be the food or, or whatever they're sharing together. Other times I might sit down with someone who's poor and they're in famine and I'll, I, I won't eat, I'm suffering, I'm showing my sympathy with them. So I'm doing two opposite things in different circumstances but I'm doing it because I have one purpose and that determines what I'll do in each situation of life we can begin to see how useful it is to have a sense of purpose in life, something to use as a compass in different situations we come across. What does it mean for us then if, as individuals, we try and adopt the purpose of Jesus? Well, Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus gives some advice to his disciples and to all of us. He talks in in the context of the chapter about the things that others, the Gentiles and others, seek after, you know, what they eat, what they wear, the practicalities of life, what they own. But in contrast, he says in Luke 12, verse 31, to believers, rather, don't worry about those things. Seek the kingdom of God, and all those other practical things of life will be added unto you as you have need of them. Because, he says in verse 32, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So with that focus in mind, Christ is pointing out that present possessions or or present state of life is not important. That's not important to our ultimate destiny, is it? Rather, what we do for others with what we might have. So with that in mind, he says, well, if that's the case, and it's the kingdom you're focused on, and other things are peripheral, then sell what you have and give alms, and provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, Neither moth corrupteth. So he says, "Well, if you've got the right perspective, then the things you have around you are only to facilitate you showing God's goodness to other people and giving." Again, you can see how a sense of purpose determines what you do with your resources, the paths you take in life. A very useful thing to have. Okay, so you might say that's that's purpose. We can see now how God has a greater purpose we can connect with it and it can help to set the perspective and the direction for choices we make in life now, paths that we take. What about peace of mind? What does the Bible tell us about that? Well, the peace that the Bible describes is not necessarily absence from any conflict or that we'll sit in perfectly calm surroundings like someone sitting by a tranquil lake all of our lives. That's not necessarily... The peace the Bible describes. Because we know if you if you read stories of people in the Bible, they went through some very difficult times, tumultuous times, you might say. But people are able to have within that an inner sense of peace. And it comes from a harmony with the mind of God. And such a sense of inner calm, because we're connected with a firmer purpose, can enable us to approach life's challenges differently not to be so easily rocked perhaps or so easily diverted off our course because we know that there is a greater force at play, that if we are committed to participating in God's purpose, then he's actively working with us and for us. We're not just left to our own selves to drift around through life. And Paul says uh, in his writings in Corinthians again, chapter 4, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So we can see in that that there's some work happening in the lives of the people Paul writes to. So he which raised up Jesus, well that's God isn't it? Well he can also raise us up, Paul says. So if he's done one resurrection, he's raised the Lord Jesus, that's a guarantee, if you like, that he can also raise to life other people that commit to him like Jesus did. And we know he works in their lives because he, Paul says, he shall present us with you. So it's, it's this mind picture that the Apostle Paul is building of, of God, like as a father, working with a child and, and, and guiding them, developing them through life so that he can present them finished, if you like, or fully developed at a certain point. And as parents, that's in a way our role, isn't it? Is to, to nurture children through life. Not to shield them from all difficulties, because they need some challenges, but to guide them through it so that they reach full maturity eventually and can stand on their own feet and, and present them as a, you know, a grown up, complete person, we hope. And Paul says, because of that, we faint not. So even though we come across difficulties, we don't you know, throw the towel and say, oh, it's all, no, it's all too hard. I'm walking away. He says, no, we do encounter difficulties, but even though our outward man might perish, so we might have physical difficulties, the inward man is renewed day by day. So this inward man he talks about is the mind of a believer that is connected to God, that has a sense of faith in God's work with them. He writes in Romans that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's really the, the key to this peace. It comes back in a way to our original point that the sense of peace, the sense of stability comes from a connection with the Creator, with the God who has the purpose. So if you like, he's he's the rock at the center, he's the, the reference point that gives the stability, he is in himself stable, unmovable, unchanging, and that having a connection with him helps us to tap into that sense of stability and and calm. So yes, we can gain a sense of peace that the Bible can offer us in the present life. But there is also a peace to be gained in this future age that the Bible describes, and that's, you might say, that the true peace, the ultimate um, peace that the Bible offers people who come to it. It's described in Hebrews as, as a rest. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Let us labour, therefore, we're encouraged to enter into that rest. So, now is the time to work, but in the future, in this kingdom age that God offers, there is a time of rest, we might say. A time of peace. Not, I think, that we'll those who, who are part of it will be inactive. There'll be plenty of positive work to do. But it's a rest, if you like, from the, the troubles and the trials of the present life. And there's a, a beautiful picture described in the book of Revelation speaking of this period. It says, This I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will will be with them and be their God. So this is a, an unprecedented time, really, because in the history of the earth, hasn't been a time where we could say that all people on the earth are at one with God, that they are all his people and, and connected with him. So that's one very unique thing about this future age described. But more than that, and this has never been the case before as well, it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Well, As the saying goes, there's nothing more certain than death and taxes. Not in this age. He says eventually the end of this, in the ultimate sense in this uh, kingdom age that God has offered, there will in the end be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Wow. Not only will there not be death, but even crying and pain will be gone. For he says the former things are passed away. So so this is an entirely new age, a new world arrangement or world order, you might say. So that's the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you, if you like, that God has offered in his word, the Bible. So you might say, well, that's interesting. That might be great that the Bible offers uh, this sense of peace in the future and that it has a greater purpose that we can be connected to. Well, how do we get there? How, how do we today connect ourselves with this purpose if that's what we want to do and obtain these these benefits of stability, of peace of mind. Well, Jesus gives us um, plenty of guidance around that in the Gospels and uh, the other New Testament writers do as well. But here's just a couple of examples of his words and his direction to us. We're told that in order to become a part of this purpose, God has offered a way. And the way is, as we've hinted at in the course of our our discussion, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is described as the Bible as the way because he exemplifies the the way that God wants all people to live, the path he wants them to follow. And so he can rightly say in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek And lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So Jesus says, if you want to find this rest, this peace of mind that the Bible can offer, come to me. Have a look at how I live. Listen to what I teach. Learn of me. Learn about what I'm like as a person and start patterning that. And that will be the pathway to receiving these benefits. And we're told again in John chapter 3 that God set him forward as the way. In fact, it says God so loved the world, he so much wanted to offer salvation to all the people in the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and allowed him to die on on the cross. In order that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have this opportunity at everlasting life. So that that is the way that God has offered. Of course, in order to believe on Jesus as that quote says in John, we need to know what he taught, don't we? So the first step in the the process is coming to an understanding of the gospel message that Jesus taught. What was it about? What was his life about? What was his sacrifice about? Understanding that and committing to that in, in the baptism that he recommends, and then following the course of life that he set forward. That is the pathway that the Bible outlines to take part in this purpose, and to receive those benefits. So hopefully that's helped to give a picture of what the Bible can offer, how God's Word can give purpose, how it can give a sense of peace. Um, We welcome you to connect with us further and learn more. You can visit us uh, at teachergalleybiblecentre.com.au or email us uh, if you'd like to learn more and gain some more information about um, this topic or the Bible in general and the gospel message, we'd love to connect with you. So thank you for um, participating in tonight's discussion.